population, I might would say, is an area such as West Georgia. It was a larger area. I might would even say and broaden it a little bit more and say the area of Georgia, as if the state of Georgia. It's in modern-day Turkey is where it finds itself. I don't believe that it is a city anymore as far as by the name Galatia or anything of that nature. And I don't know of the church, but I do know this about the church largely in Turkey is Turkey used to be one of the greatest Christian nations on the face of the world. And yet we now see that it is one of the greatest Islamic nations in all of the world. Beloved, things do happen. I'm not trying to be, I'm not trying to be woe-minded as us. I'm just saying, beloved, there is something about it. When we hold to the truths of Scripture, they will persist. They will prevail. But if we give up on them, there may be things such as even the area of Galatians where Paul worked and where Paul labored, and yet it's been turned to something other than Christianity. Beloved, it is something that we should always be mindful of. I'm watching the church seems to be rising in Africa in many ways. God seems to be planting many a people there. I think about even the work that we've been affiliated with, uh, Brother Tommy and Sister Teresa, as they continue their work in Uganda. I think what a blessing it is for us to be involved in that. And that this is kind of what Paul's doing. He sent a letter over to the Galatians, and a letter that is quite something, to say the least. This morning, what I would like to do I would like to take and read the entirety of this book. I understand it to be about 20 minutes with my slow speech and sometimes messing up on words. It might take us a little bit longer. But this morning, I want us to read the entirety of this book of Galatians together this morning. So I hope you have found your place in the book of Galatians. And we'll begin reading in Galatians chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, an apostle, not of men, neither by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead. And all the brethren which are with me unto the churches of Galatia, grace be to you and peace from God the Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us from this present evil world according to the will of God and our Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Verse 6. I marvel that ye are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel, which is not another. But there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. But though we, or an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so say I now again, if any man preach any other gospel unto you than that ye have received, let him be accursed. For do I now speak, do I now persuade men or God, or do I seek to please men? For if I yet pleased men, I should not be the servant of Christ. Verse 11. But I certify you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached of me is not after man. For I neither received it of man, neither was I taught it, but by the revelation of Jesus Christ. For ye have heard of my conversion, conversation in past time, the Jews' religion, how that beyond measure I persecuted the church of God and wasted it and profited in the Jews' religion above many my equals in my own nation, being more exceedingly zealous of the traditions of my fathers. But when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by his grace to reveal his son in me, that I might preach him among the heathen, immediately I conferred not with flesh and blood, neither went I up to Jerusalem to them which were apostles before me, 
But I went into Arabia and returned again unto Damascus. Then, after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter, and abode with him fifteen days. But other of the apostles saw I none, save James, the Lord's brother. Now the things which I write unto you, behold, before God I lie not. Afterwards I came into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, unto the churches of Judea which were in Christ. But they had heard only that he which persecuted us in times past now preacheth the faith which once he destroyed. And they glorified God in me. Chapter 2, verse 1. Then fourteen years after, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas and took Titus with me also. And I went up by revelation and communicated unto them the, that gospel which I preach among the Gentiles, but privately to them which were of reputation, lest by any means I should run or have run in vain. But neither Titus, who was with me, being a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised, and that because of false brethren unawares brought in, who came in privily to spy out our liberty which we have in Christ Jesus, that they might bring us into bondage, to whom we gave place by subjection, no, not for an hour, that the truth of the gospel might continue with you. But of these who seemed to be somewhat, whatsoever they were, it maketh no matter to me, God accepteth no man's person. For they who seemed to be somewhat in conference added nothing to me, but contrariwise, when they saw that the gospel of the uncircumcision was committed unto me, as the gospel of circumcision was unto Peter, for he that wrought effectually in Peter to the apostleship of the circumcision, the same was mighty in me toward the Gentiles. And when James, Cephas, and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given unto me, they gave to me and Barnabas the right hands of fellowship, that we should go unto the heathen, and they unto the circumcision. Only they would that we should remember the poor, the same which I also was forward to do. But when Peter was come to Antioch, I withstood him to the face, because he was to be blamed. For before that certain came from James, he did eat with the Gentiles. But when they were come, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing them which were of the circumcision. And the other Jews dissembled likewise with him, insomuch that Barnabas also was carried away with their dissimulation. But when I saw that they walked not uprightly according to the truth of the gospel, I said unto Peter before them all, If thou, being a Jew, livest after the manner of Gentiles, and not as do the Jews, why compellest thou the Gentiles to live as do the Jews? We who are Jews by nature, and not sinners of the Gentiles, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Jesus Christ, that we might be justified by the faith of Christ, and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. But if, while we seek to be justified by Christ, we ourselves also are found sinners, is therefore Christ the minister of sin? God forbid. For if I build again the things which I destroyed, I make myself a transgressor. 
For I, through the law, am dead to the law, that I might live unto God. I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not frustrate the grace of God, for if righteousness come by the law, then Christ is dead in vain. Chapter 3, verse 1. O foolish Galatians, who hath bewitched you that ye should not obey the truth, before whose eyes Jesus Christ hath been evidently set forth, crucified among you? This only would I learn of you. Received ye the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of the faith? Are ye so foolish? Having begun in the Spirit, are ye now made perfect by the flesh? Have ye suffered so many things in vain, if it be yet in vain? He therefore that ministereth to you the Spirit and worketh miracles among you, doeth he it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Even as Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Know ye therefore that they which are of faith, the same are the children of Abraham. And the scriptures foreseeing that God would justify the heathen through faith, preached before the gospel unto Abraham, saying, In these shall all nations be blessed. So then they which be of faith are blessed with faithful Abraham. For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse, for it is written, Cursed is everyone that continueth not in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. But that no man is justified by the law in the sight of God, it is evident. For the just shall live by faith. And the law is not of faith, but the man that doeth them shall live in them. Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is every one that hangeth on a tree, that the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through Jesus Christ, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Brethren, I speak after the manner of men, though it be a man's covenant, yet if Yet, if it be confirmed, no man disannulleth or addeth thereunto. Now, to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He saith not, and to seeds as of many, but as of one, and to thy seed, which is Christ. Verse 17. And I say that the covenant that was confirmed before God, before of God in Christ, the law, which was 430 years after, cannot disannul that it should be that it should make the promise of none effect. For if the inheritance be of the law, it is no more of promise, but God gave it to Abraham by promise. Wherefore then serveth the law? It was added because of transgressions, till the seed should come to whom the promise was made. And it was ordained by angels in the hand of a mediator. Now, a mediator is not a mediator of one, but God is one. Is the law then against the promises of God? God forbid. For if there had been a law given which could have given life, verily righteousness should have been by the law. 
But the scripture hath concluded all under sin, that the promise by faith of Jesus Christ might be given to them that believe. But before faith came, we were kept under the law, shut up unto the faith which should afterwards be revealed. Wherefore, the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ, that we might be justified by faith. But after that faith is come, we are no longer under a schoolmaster. For ye are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ, there is neither Jew nor, Gen nor Greek. There is neither bond nor free. There is neither male nor female. For ye are all one in Christ Jesus. And if ye be Christ's, then ye are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Chapter 4, verse 1. Now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, deferreth nothing from a servant, though he be lord of all, but is under tutors and governors unto the time appointed of the father. Even so we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. But when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth his son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. And because ye are sons, God hath sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Wherefore thou art no more a servant, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. How be it then, when ye knew not God, ye did service unto them which by nature are no gods. But now, after that ye have known God, or rather are known of God, how turn ye again to the weak and beggarly elements, whereunto ye desire again to be in bondage? Ye observe days and months and times and years. I am afraid of you, lest I have bestowed upon you labor in vain. Verse 12. Brethren, I beseech you, be as I am, for I am as ye are, and ye have not injured me at all. Yet know how through infirmity of the flesh I preached the gospel unto you at the first. And my temptation, which was in my flesh, ye despised not, nor rejected, but received me as an angel of God, even as Christ Jesus. Where is then the blessedness of ye speak of? For I bear you record that if it had been possible, ye would have plucked out your own eyes and have given them to me. Am I therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth? They zealously affect you, but not well. Yea, they would exclude you that ye might afflict them. But it is good to be zealously affected always in a good thing, and not only when I am present with you. My little children of whom I travail in birth again until Christ be formed in you. I desire to be present with you now and to change my voice, for I stand in doubt of you. Verse 21, tell me, ye that desire to be under the law, do ye not hear the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, the one by a bondmaid, the other by a free woman. But he who was of the bondwoman was born after the flesh, but he of the free woman was by promise. Which things are an allegory? 
For these are the two covenants, the one from the Mount Sinai, which gendereth to bondage, which is Agar. For this Agar is Mount Sinai in Arabia, and answereth to Jerusalem, which now is and is in bondage with her children. But Jerusalem, which is above, is free, which is the mother of us all. For it is written, Rejoice thou barren that bearest not. Break forth and cry, thou that travailest not. For the desolate hath many more children than she which hath an husband. Now we, brethren, as Isaac was, are the children of promise. But as then he that was born after the flesh persecuted him that was born after the spirit, even so it is now. Nevertheless, what saith the scripture? Cast out the bondwoman and her son. For the son of the bondwoman shall not be heir with the son of the free woman. So then, brethren, we are not children of the bondwoman, but of the free. Chapter 5, verse 1. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Behold, I, Paul, say unto you, that if ye be circumcised, Christ shall profit you nothing. For I testify again to every man that is circumcised that he is a debtor to the whole law. Christ has become of no effect to, unto you. Whosoever of you are justified by the law, ye are fallen from grace. For we through the Spirit wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. For in Jesus Christ neither circumcision availeth anything nor uncircumcision, but faith which worketh by love. Ye did run well. Who did hinder you that ye should not obey the truth? This persuasion cometh not of him that calleth you. A little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. I have confidence in you through the Lord that ye will be none otherwise minded. But he that troubleth you shall bear his judgment, whosoever he be. And I, brethren, if I yet preach circumcision, why do I yet suffer persecution? Then is the offense of the cross ceased. I would that they were even cut off, which trouble you. For, brethren, ye have been called unto liberty. Only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. But if ye bite and devour one another, take heed that ye be not consumed one of another. This I say then, Walk in the spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusteth against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary the one to the other, so that ye cannot do the things that ye would. But if ye be led of the spirit, ye are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murderers, drunkenness, revelings, and such like, of the which I tell you before, as I have told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, Meekness, temperance, against such there is no law. And they that are Christ's have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. 
if we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not be desirous of vainglory, provoking one another, envying one another. Chapter 6, verse 1. Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such an one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if a man think himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceiveth himself. But let every man prove his own work, and then shall he have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another. For every man shall bear his own burden. But him that is taught in the word communicate. Let him that is taught in the word communicate unto him that teacheth in all good things. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. But he that soweth to the spirit shall of the spirit reap life everlasting. And let us not be weary in well-doing. For in due season we shall reap if we faint not. As we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. Ye see how large a letter I have written unto you with mine own hand. As many as desire to make a fair shoe in the flesh, they constrain you to be circumcised, only lest they should suffer persecution for the cross of Christ. For neither they themselves who are circumcised keep the law, but desire to have you circumcised, that they may glory in your flesh. But God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me, and I unto the world. For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision availeth anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creature. And as many as walk according to this rule, peace be on them, and mercy and upon the Israel of God. From henceforth let no man trouble me, for I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. Brethren, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for this wonderful book in Galatians. We thank you for its reading and the hearing of it in our presence this morning together, O oh God, Father, as perhaps it was first read to the churches of Galatia, O oh God. Father, we pray that we would listen attentively in this, O oh God. Father, we pray that you would change us and transform us, that, God, where we need correction, Lord, that you would work that correction in us, that we would be receiving of that, and, we're, and Lord, just willing to do what you would have us to do, God. This day and every day, we pray that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear, that both we may see and do your will, O oh God. Father, give us the hands to serve, the feet to turn out. Father, whatever it may be that we need, we pray that you would give unto us, that we may be faithful unto you. God, we thank you for this book again. We pray these things that you would enlighten us. We pray it all in thy Son, Jesus Christ's most holy name. Amen and amen. Lest you think we're done, we're not quite done yet. Let us go back to chapter 1. We didn't get off the hook that easy this morning. Chapter, the book of Galatians, in case you didn't pick up on it, is not a kind letter. The book of Galatians actually is the most frank letter that Paul wrote. 
usually in this time, an epistle was given to them, and they had some kind of thanksgiving, some kind of accommodation. You didn't want to butter them up, but you needed to write them a decent little letter. You needed to write them something. My understanding of different cultures, especially I believe it is in the Japanese culture, is they do not like American emails. Because if I send you an email in America, I'm asking you to do one simple thing pretty quickly. That's it. It's as short and simple and as sweet to the point as we can get, generally speaking. Sometimes we'll throw in one nice little sentence, but otherwise we get right to the point. If you do that sending a letter to somebody in the Japanese culture, you're going to be in trouble because you've just been disrespectful to them. You have given them something and you didn't talk to them. You didn't have a conversation with them, even in the form of a letter. There is a way to write a letter in their culture that shows respect to them. And it was actually very similar to the way that letters were written in this time. And most every other letter that Paul has written follows that same format that it's given to them and it's given accommodation. Paul has no accommodation to them. Paul has nothing in a sense but a certain form of disrespect to them. It's a disrespectful thing. If you're the churches of Galatia, you're caught in this. You're wondering, you're like, Paul, why are you being so insulting to me in this moment? But then you get confused because what does Paul do but how he relates to them? Did you hear him as he was calling them children? As we were reading in different chapters, he would call them children. He speaks to them so firmly and so directly, and yet he relates to them so well as if a father relates to his child. Those are the worst times as a child. When dad would be getting on to me and correcting me for something, and it was with such a sternness I knew I had messed up, and yet it was with a gentleness. It didn't make sense to me. How are you being firm and how are you being gentle at the same time? And yet that is the entirety of this letter to the book of Galatians. Uh, Galatia, you have done messed up is the best modern vernacular that I've got for it and that it needs to be corrected. So Paul begins his letter here in verse 1. It says, Paul, an apostle. That all to stop us right there, that Paul is an apostle. He's one that was walking in the time of Jesus. Not just everybody is an apostle. We push against those things that people say that they're modern apostles. We don't understand there to be modern apostles. Apostles were contained in the time of the word of God. Apostles were those who had to have been living and dwelling in the time of the ministry of Christ. And Christ himself had to reveal himself to them in a special light. We don't still live in the time of the apostles. But nonetheless, there was a comparison that was going on in the early church. Are we going to listen to Paul? Are we going to listen to Apollos? We know that from the book of Corinthians, that that was a problem, is who do we listen to? That's still in the church culture today of who do we listen to? Do we listen to this set over here? Do we listen to that set over there? One of the great, one of the great ones in my lifetime that I've known of, Timothy Keller, was one that passed away. He was a great preacher in New York City, and he was known. Some people didn't like him because he wasn't conservative enough. Some people didn't like him because he was too conservative, and there was all kind of controversy. All I know how to tell you is hold on to that which is good by him. Miss Taylor and I read one of his books, and it was one of the best books she and I have read together by far. He has some good stuff. He has some stuff I disagree with, but this I know about that man. I believe I shall see him in eternity. I don't know if I'll know Miss Tim Keller. I don't, I don't know how I'm going to know him. I just know we'll be known as we're known. But all of these things, beloved, that Paul is an apostle and it matters. Paul carries with him an authority that other men don't always carry. Paul carries with him that authority that he is an apostle, but he addresses this. He says, not of men, neither by man. That the purpose of his apostleship, he wasn't given to him by men, nor is it for man. That the reason that he was made an apostle, he was made an apostle by God, and that he was made an apostle for God, not of men. Paul is orienting the Galatians to realize these things. As Paul is drawing them in, he's inviting them to see, okay, Paul, you're making everything about God. 
And that's the way that we should make it about, is that ultimately we're making it about God. It makes it about God and about one another, but never about self. He says, by man, neither by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. That the church is still dealing with this early on is the fact that God did in fact raise his son, Jesus Christ, from the dead. That this wasn't happenstance. This wasn't just a rumor. This is something that did in fact happen. That still to this day, we must claim it. That there are certain ones that want to accept the teaching of the church. They want to accept many of the teachings of the church and many of the good works of the church. And yet they do not want to accept the fundamental truth that God raised his son from the dead. That his son died on the cross for us. We were singing that song in Christ alone. One of the churches, or somebody wrote to Keith and Kristen Getty and the other writers on that song and said, we want to include it in our hymnal, but we need to change one of the lyrics. One of the verses of that song says, and on that cross, the wrath of God was satisfied. They wanted to change the lyrics. Mind you, these lyrics that I'm about to say, I want to tell you are solid. They said, they want to say that, and on that cross, the love of God was magnified. I have absolutely nothing wrong with that statement. That's a glorious truth that on that cross, the love of Christ, the love of God was magnified. That's a true statement. But the Gettys wouldn't allow it to take place because they knew that it was missing something. They knew that it didn't communicate everything that they are working toward in that song. That story, that song is telling the story of the cross of Christ. And it's telling the story of what it means in mind in your life. What a wonderful song that is that we sing. <coughs> They knew that it had to say, and on that cross, the wrath of God was satisfied. Beloved, another thing that we must cling to is the reality that Christ was resurrected from the dead. If Christ was not resurrected from the dead, you and I are of all people to be most pitied. You and I are sitting here doing the most foolish thing in the world. But yet if Christ was truly risen from the grave by his Father, God of all, if it is truly that he was risen, then you and I have a purpose. You and I have a master. You and I have a Lord. You and I have somebody that we are to be serving. The entirety of the gospel hinges on the reality of whether or not God did raise his son. It's not good enough that not only did he die, no, 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 we can't stop in verse 3 of in Christ alone. We've got to get in verse 4, or maybe it is in verse 3, the other one's in verse 2, whatever it is, we've got to get the reality that Christ was risen and that he triumphed over sin and that, yes, God is the one who raised him. In verse 2 it says, and all the brethren which are with me, that tells me a lot of people are writing this letter, that it's not just Paul. It is Titus. It is likely Barnabas. It is some of these others that Paul is not alone, that he is writing these things in connection with others. And notice again, as we've already mentioned, it says, unto the churches of Galatia, unto the churches of West Georgia, unto the churches of of Georgia, unto the churches of the Southeast, unto the churches of America. Whatever way that you want to say it is, Paul knew that it was not just a problem in one church. Paul knew that it was a problem in many churches. Oftentimes, it's been my experience, I've lived through a lot of church controversies all the way that I know how to say it. And I used to think, well, these are just problems in the church that I grew up in. These are just problems that were localized to what I felt. And then I got to learn in some things, and I'm like, wait a minute. These are problems that are all over. These are problems that are happening in so many different places. And the church has come together throughout centuries to talk about these things and discuss these things. I have in my library a Bible that is called the Reformation Study Bible. And it contains in the back of that Bible many of the early church covenants, many of the church creeds, what they would say. One of them is the Apostles' Creed that some of us will brush against when we hear it. Because the Apostles' Creed and the Nicene Creed both have this in there 
uh, where it's saying these different statements about God that we believe to be true, and then it says in there, and it'll scare us Baptists and us other denominations, but it says, and the Holy Catholic Church, and we all look at that real funny, we're like, wait a second, wait a second, that's, a, that's not good, that's a red flag for us. But even what it means is the universal church. And I didn't know that until I stepped into a Methodist church, and they wanted us to say the Apostles' Creed together. And then I figured out that that's something that's been passed down through the church through the ages. And then we've got other statements of faith that have been made. Do y'all know that our church statement of faith that we have, which is a modification of the Baptist Faith and Message 2000, is based on the Baptist Faith and Message uh, 1964 or 63, and then the one that came out in the 1920s. And even that's based on the London Confession of Faith, which you can find in that Reformation Study Bible. And it's confessed on all the statements of faith that came before it. Beloved, we're not the first. And Lord willing, we'll not be the last. I fully expect, now the Lord may come. The Lord returns, it's on his timetable, not mine. The Lord may return before we go to lunch today. I don't know. But Lord willing, it's going to continue into the next generation. And the truths must remain. The church has fought for these things. The church has met for these things. And every now and then the church just needs a little bit of correcting. And that's exactly what's happening with him. And he's writing with a bunch of others. It's not by himself. He does begin. He says, grace be to you and peace from God the Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ. He does still open to them sweetly. He does still talk to them kindly. Beloved, when we're talking to a brother or a sister in the faith, there ought to be a kindness that approaches us. How many times we have approached brothers and sisters with hatred in our hearts, whether we meant to or not, whether we did so intentionally or not, sometimes I brush up against them. I mentioned the Catholics and I talk about them. I've got dear Catholic friends that I would never say a word to hurt. I stand very differently than what they do on many of things. And I believe a lot of truths that are solid according to the Bible that are different than them. But, beloved, I never want to be mean to them. I have other friends that believe differently than what I do. We never want to be mean to them. We want to engender with them. And notice that Paul doesn't just come to it from himself. No, he says, grace be to you and peace from God the Father. And from our Lord Jesus Christ. That Paul knows this grace and this peace which is afforded unto him is not of himself. The reason that Paul is writing this message is not because Paul has gotten irritated with something in the church. The reason that Paul is writing this letter is because God is irritated with what's going on in the church. Because something in the church needs to happen because it's contrary to the will of God. So the way that he makes his approach to them is by the grace and the peace of God the Father and of the Son. It says in verse 4, who gave himself for our sins. Love how Paul relates. It says for our sins. Paul doesn't disclude himself. Paul doesn't say for your sins. No, Paul includes himself and says who gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us from this present evil world according to the will of God and our Father. Hallelujah. What a sentence. Is that he gave himself for our sins. That's a glorious truth of itself. But even as he has delivered us from our sins, it is that he might deliver us from this present evil world. As he said, Father, I pray that you take them not out of this world, but that they be separated from this world. Y'all, we're not supposed to look like the rest of the world. We're supposed to be a little bit off. We're supposed to be a little bit different every now and then. I'm not saying go out there and be weird for the sake of being weird. That's probably not going to do much. I'm not asking you to do that. But I'm asking you to consider your life for a minute. Consider your salvation for a month and look with Paul and ask this question. Do you look like the rest of the world? When you go to your job, do you look like everybody else that is on that job? When you're out and about in the grocery store, do you look like everybody else in there looks like? I'm not saying the way you dress. That's not what I mean. I hope you might dress differently than what some of this world do, but that's a different conversation for a different day. Older ladies talk to the younger ladies. Older men talk to the younger men. We've got discipleship given to us in the book of times. I'm not going to dress in that this morning. 
But when I say when you look different is your entire life ought to be different. The way that you talk, it ought to be with the graciousness. Because so many that find themselves calling themselves to be Christians, calling themselves to be members of a church, the worst reports that happen are on Sunday mornings. That when a bunch of Christians go out and they eat on after church, they get the worst tips, they get the worst attitudes, they get all of these things from a bunch of people that were just in church serving God apparently. I'd want no part of them either. As a matter of fact, most of the time if I saw the church, I'd want no part of it. Most of the time, if I saw all the controversies in the church and all the bitterness and wrath and anger and malice, and oh my stars, that sounds like the works of the flesh. All the fleshiness that gets in the church, I want no part of it. There's a certain there's a certain radar people have about that, that they don't want to be a part of. I can tell you this, having come from brokenness, having come from disunity, I don't want to be a part of it anymore. I don't want to be in a church that's disunified. I don't want to be in a church that's in controversy. I want to be in a church that's modeled by flesh. I want to be in a church that God has saved me from this present evil world. Not from a church that just looks like the rest of the world around it. Not from a bunch of people that just, they could be gathered anywhere. They could be gathered at some honky-tonk. They could be gathered at some race. They could be gathered at some football game, whatever else. And there not be a shred of difference between them and the world. It says, according to the will of God and our Father. This is according to the will of God. That's enough of itself. But do you see how Paul relates to him as our father? How that what he does is he nestles them back in. He says, y'all, this is us. This is an us thing. We're responsible to our father. And then it rests in verse 5, his opening. He says, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. The reason that we show up every single week is because of God. The reason that we live our lives is because of God. I've been reading this book. I've been telling y'all about it. It keeps slipping up. It's one of the best books I've ever read. It's called, I, I can't even remember the name of it right now. But in that book, it argues this statement that has stood with me for two weeks now. It's saying, for the glory of God and the good of his people. For the glory of God and the good of his people. I like what uh, John Piper always says. He says, God is most satisfied in us, is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. I think Piper says that really well, that God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. Beloved, he has saved us. He has saved us from this present world. He saved us to look differently than the rest of this world. It's interesting, the book of Galatians, the, the city of Galatia comes from the word for gall. And that word gall is misleading. It's a lie and a misleading. The problems that we're going to discover in the book of Galatians is people that have misled them, people that have led them astray, people that through gall direct misleading have put them otherwise. The problem that the church at Galatia had was they looked like everybody else around them. The problem that Shed Road is always going to have to fight for as long as Shed Road is in existence here on this side, as long as Shed Road exists, is whether we're going to look like the rest of the world or whether we're going to look like the church that he tells us about here. That's the problem that you've got as a Christian. Are you going to look like the rest of the world or are you going to be shaped and molded and transformed by the power of God? Is your life going to look different from the rest of this present evil world? Does your life reflect and glorify God? If your life is glorifying God, it will be for your good. If your life is glorifying God, it will be for the good of others. It's a wonderful thing that we get to enter into that we're a church. That we're not just an individual believer, but that he's called us to be a church. And that elect from every nation, he is the church's one foundation. That we're all under one. 
though there are many throughout this entire world, in China, in Cuba, in Africa, in every other continent of this world, we have our only hope in Christ Jesus. And that, beloved, though I'll never meet some of these Christians, I'll get to be in eternity with them. And I'll get to sing the same praises unto God. I love singing praises with y'all every week. I look forward to being in eternity when I get to do the same in all of eternity. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for this blessed book of Galatians. We pray you be with us as we continue to walk through it, oh God. Father, we do truly pray that you would be changing and transforming us, that God, somebody would see something different about us, that somebody that is an unbeliever would look upon our lives and see the evidences of your graciousness and see the evidences that we have been made different and that we're not just like anybody else in this world, oh God. Lord, we pray that we live a transformed life and a life for the rest of the world. We pray that you would help us to do that in every moment of our lives, God, that we would trust only in you, O oh God, that we would not be led astray, but that we would be led only toward you, O oh God. Lord, we love you, we thank you, we pray that for those that have never professed a hope, God, we pray this morning be the day that they're born again. We pray this week be the week that they're born again. And again, for those of us that are already born again, we pray to live for you and for you alone this world. Father, we pray all these things in my Son, Jesus Christ, in his holy name. Amen.